0: We need to slow down, we need to reconnect, reconnect with others, reconnect with the living world. And as we do that, we allow for an inner reconnection, a deep spiritual reconnection. Even the left-right brain discussion that's going on now, it's happening in neuroscience, is pointing towards localization.
1: Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right a project of the Post Carbon Institute where I interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. My interview today is with Helena Norberg-Hodge and if there's anyone who's been a cultural scout for half a century, it's Helena. Um, she is a linguist and author and filmmaker and is the founder and director of the international nonprofit organization, Local Futures. A pioneer of the new economy movement and a convener of World Localization Day. And in this whole drive to relocalization, she and I share quite a passion as well as local food. She is the author of several books, including Ancient Futures, Learning from Ladakh, an eye-opening tale of tradition and change in Ladakh or Little Tibet, Together with a film on the same title, Ancient Futures has been translated into more than 40 languages and sold half a million copies. She is the producer of the award-winning documentary, The Economics of Happiness. Helena was educated in Sweden, Germany, Austria, England, and the United States. She specialized in linguistics, including studies at the University of London and with Noam Chomsky at MIT. Her work spanning almost half a century has received the support of a wide range of international figures, including Jane Goodall, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, Prince Charles, and Indira Gandhi. She has helped initiate localization movements on every continent, particularly in South Korea and Japan, and co-founded both the International Forum on Globalization and the Global Eco-Village Network She is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Right Livelihood Award, AKA the Alternative Nobel Prize, the Arthur Morgan Award and the Goy Peace Prize for contributing to the revitalization of culture and biological diversity and the strengthening of local communities and economies worldwide. Helen is, is one of the elders that I have had the privilege of being in touch with for many decades. And I've admired her, I've learned from her, and I hope you will enjoy her as well. So Helena norberg Welcome, Helena, to what could possibly go right. I am thrilled to reconvene with you after, I don't know, maybe five years since I've seen you. And I was just recalling, um, I think I first I remember passing a room in a conference and there you were on a TV screen. This was like, you know, 90, early 90s, you know, talking about Ladakh. And I was drawn in and then meeting you, I think, for the first time when we were starting the Center for New American Dream. When I look at my history with you, I look at my history with me, you know, and I look at a history that we shared uh, of really trying to intervene, both of us in the dominant story of consumerism and the capitalist economy, and um, and and actually lifting up this um, possibility that life can be better, sweeter, um, actually richer in many ways if we pay attention to what is right there around us. Uh, so. Uh, Given that we have this long history and hopefully have developed some wisdom, I'm looking forward to what your answer is going to be to our one core question in this podcast, which is given all that seems to be going wrong, what could possibly go right?
0: Well, thank you very much for this opportunity. And as you say, we've been at this for a long time, and we should probably clear, um, you know, for people, Ladakh, most people have never heard of, and it's actually the westernmost part of Tibet, and it's a part of Tibet that belongs to India politically. And I ended up there in the mid-70s and discovered one of the very, very few cultures on this planet that hadn't been either colonized or developed. So I came to experience a culture that was still living according to its own values, its own principles and its own environment. And there was no unemployment, there was no poverty, really no poverty, no hunger. There was uh, above all the most radiant health, especially mental health. I had never met people who were more just radiantly happy. So I then witnessed how the opening up to the global economic system led to the systematic decline and how in a very short period, people, there was unemployment and there was unhappiness and conflict between people who were suddenly pitted against each other for scarce jobs. I wrote a book called Ancient Futures and that was 16 years later, having spent about half of every year there. And in that book, I talked about what I saw back then, this was in the late eighties, what I call these ancient futures micro trends in the West. And these micro trends were trends that were, I was seeing in every country. I spoke a lot of languages. I was already involved in about 12 different countries and in 40 different language groups. And what I was seeing was that there was evidence everywhere that people wanted a better connection with nature, that they wanted a better connection with each other. And these ancient futures micro were things like all around the world, people starting to forge organic agriculture movements, wanting more natural birth, wanting more natural food, of course wanting to build the community fabric, starting eco-villages, going against the dominant trend. And the dominant trend was this top-down pressure towards monoculture, a competitive, ever faster, ever larger scale global economy. What was happening from the bottom up was people demonstrating that they wanted to go slower, they wanted to go smaller, There was a a way that almost everything that was more natural, that was more satisfying, that made people happier, had to do with the slowing down and the scaling down and building human scale structures. Now, the one thing that could go right, particularly after COVID, is that all of these millions, and I'm actually talking hundreds of millions of people. We have a small farmer's movement which consists of La Via Campesina, the biggest social movement in the world with several hundred million farmers. And there are many other groups with small farmers as well. So we're talking about a very large number of people in both the industrialized parts of the world and the less industrialized parts of the world who want to establish those better relationships, those more natural relationships. The big thing that could go right is that they recognize that they're actually part of a systemic shift towards rebuilding more local human scale structures. Almost everything you see that is going right around the world is actually part of that picture. But mm-hmm. the, the, what we need is the connecting fabric of a worldview that connects the dots and that sees that we need to make a systemic shift right now after COVID, where there is huge pressure continuing from the top down towards an ever more competitive, ever more resource and energy intensive, global way of doing things. Now that path is literally taking us to Mars to compete for scarce minerals. And I don't know if you've read about recently They're also going to the very bottom of the sea to try to compete over finding even more minerals to build up a fast, big, competitive global economy that all around the world is imposing a consumer monoculture and its very core, its scale and speed means it can only deal in monoculture. So it is now pushing us to have agriculture that is even more monocultural, using robots, linked to drones, linked to satellites to monitor carbon. What this means is that we have to be skeptical about the big Green New Deal. We have to awaken to the fact that the small Green Deals that have been going on ever since the beginning of the environmental movement, they were small Green Deals that understood that we need holistic experiential knowledge in order to care for and nurture every bit of soil, every tree, everything that lives. In order to nurture and care for our children, to care for our elders, to care for ourselves, we need to slow down. We need to reconnect, reconnect with others, reconnect with the living world. And as we do that, we allow for an inner reconnection, a deep spiritual reconnection, where we actually are allowing the right part of our brain to have a place in our world and in our emotions, in our bodies. Even the left-right brain discussion that's going on now, it's happening in neuroscience, is pointing towards localization. But I am a bit frustrated that... We do have a worldwide localization movement, but it's not as big as it could and should be because somehow, particularly in the Western world, we are still caught up in the belief that because we have some very big problems, we're going to need one big solution. We believe that the internet is our best friend in terms of creating a new economy, I believe that the internet is our best friend in terms of creating the opportunity for communication, to communicate a big picture. We need a big, big picture and we need it quickly. We need to disseminate that rapidly on on a big scale. And the internet could be our friend in that, that the internet is not a friendly economic tool. It's not a tool that shapes those human relationships those relationships to the plants, to the animals, to the water that are our economy, our home, are us. To reconnect with that, we need to reconnect with the life around us. So this is, you know, this is the paradox that, yes, we do need to quickly and on a large scale communicate that we do not ever or we cannot ever have that big right thing be a monolithic solution for the whole world. It is the appropriate, the location-specific that is rooted in deep understanding, holistic understanding, that is the way we must move. Now, how do we do that? We do that primarily by practicing what I call big-picture activism. We realize that maybe the most important action right now is to wake up to the reality of these two opposing directions, the top-down, bigger, faster global, monocultural at its very core, or genuine support for diversification, genuinely supporting systemic localization. To do that in a meaningful way, we can start right now where we live, we can actually open our eyes to the fact that when we put on the lenses of global to local, then we can actually find wherever we are, we will see examples of those trends that take us towards that human scale, towards that more natural, towards the local.
1: I wanna ask you where you legit, I mean, I know how passionate you are about and how loyally you've carried this message for so long. Um, and I, I hear you that that post pandemic, wouldn't we all love to have what breaks down be the things that shouldn't be there, and what comes up through the cracks in the sidewalk is everything that you and I have believed in. Um, and yet, at a practical level, where do you see evidence? I mean, really, standing on the hillside, you know, scanning the horizon with your little spy, where do you see evidence that that localization, even without you know, a movement at the scale you want it, where do you see evidence that localization is rooting itself now?
0: Where I see evidence of localization is in the worldwide local food movement, which I am so proud to have helped to start in many, many countries. But one of the things that's happening is that even the people who were part of starting the new farmers markets, the box skins, the edible schoolyards, all of these examples of local food economies that are demonstrating that we can produce more food per unit of land, more food per unit of water, very importantly, and that we do that in a way that restores wild biodiversity and of course multiplies geometrically agricultural biodiversity. It also builds community. So it's a very fundamental and very important movement. And yet, again, what we need is the intellectual connecting the dot, big picture activism, to spell out the evidence, first of all, that the foundational production in our economic activity is and needs to be food production. Now, what we do to agriculture is what we do to the soil, to the water, what we do to our health. That has been taken away from most people around the world into a system that is dominated by giant corporations. They have had so much power. They have infiltrated our school books, our science, our government, our regulatory system despite that, we have managed to establish local food systems. Right.
1: I have a question about this because of course I've worked on this now for maybe 10 years. What I've noticed is that our local farmers most of them have no interest in an analysis of the global systems. they're interested in growing food and they're doing it and they and they also have to have side jobs so so it seems like in your view lacking, the, the local food systems lacking a global analysis of the forces that they're up against um, is insufficient. That's what I'm hearing. Like, like you feel like it's a missing piece. Absolutely. But
0: I would argue also that I'm particularly keen to reach those people who are still doing something to make the world a better place whether it's concern right now about Afghanistan, whether it's concern about what's happening at your school, whether it's donating a bit of your time or your dollars to do something to make the world a better place. In other words, not doing something for economic gain or personal gain. All of those people still constitute such a large number. They are the ones we need to call on to help make this bigger picture visible, to support the struggling farmers, because the dominant system has marginalized the two most important things we do as human beings, how we raise our food and how we raise our children. And in both of these areas has been turned into shadow work, not respected, and we need to turn that around. That's fundamental to the localization movement. Do you and see if,
1: that turning around?
0: I do. Yeah, because, where do you see it oh,
1: turning around? Well, you
0: see, even what I see with the love of the farmer's market and I see how mothers thrive when they shop there with their children as compared to the supermarket where, you know, we've had studies that show you rush through trying to avoid all the adverts for sugar and you are basically having 10 times more conversations at the farmer's market. So it's becoming a foundation that is helping mm-hmm. to build other localization initiatives. I think What we really need to recognize is not why isn't there more localization. We need to recognize that it's a miracle that there is any of this happening. And it just testifies to this human will. And what gives me, you know, the conviction that ultimately nature will win. And ultimately those people who feel more connected to nature will you know, will be proven right. And, but it's, it is, it is really absolutely, there's not nearly as much localization happening as one would hope. But my goodness, I, I have to say, for me, it's just so miraculous to see more and more evidence of things that I didn't even know about. So, right here where I live uh-huh. in Australia, I, I tell people I started all the farmers markets, because we have four major farmers markets. So four days a week, you can go to one of these markets and they loved and now the local government, you know, they boast about them, they just, you know, absolutely adored by everybody. But starting them took years. And even as we went on to the third and fourth, the local government slowed everything down. And But anyway... I find out just recently that there's a fifth market that I didn't even know about. There's only a 40 minute drive away. And, and that's just an example of that. Even mm-hmm. with my commitment to this, there are so many more things going on than I realize. And I think most right. people, if they you know, tune themselves to putting on those lenses, they will find that there's much more happening than they realize.
1: Hmm. that's such an interesting example because um, I've noticed over my long career that, you know, ideas that seem perfectly obvious to me take 10 to 20 years to be absorbed by policymakers. And when they are absorbed, the policymaker will take credit for it. And so I have to learn how to, you know, but I mean, it's in a way it's it's like, we want to do things from the bottom up for the love and joy of it and the appropriateness of it, but also we want to have this sly little feeling that we're sort of feeding the next platform to the local um, local representatives, the local government, the local state and national government that that, you know, people in politics, number one, I mean, you activists try to force things, but you also can present a platter of beautiful opportunities to claim a future. To claim, to claim credit for um, a better future. If you understand what I mean, it's like I, I, I'm I, looking in our conversation for things that people can grab onto you know, and apply in their own areas. And I think this is one of them that a persistent foundational work will often make something visible that once it's visible, people will grab it and claim it. And you just have to have the humility to not tell them that you got there first.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, in my case, it's very, uh, very clear. And it's also, I think, the very label that I've used, which is local. Local is your local. And it's so obvious, you know. So people are often not aware that actually they first heard it from us. And I was, you know, right there side by side with Bill Mollison in Berkeley in the 70s as he was starting to promote permaculture and he was – Um, actually quite proud of not being organic. He was, you know, boasting about, yeah, yeah, chemicals, fine. And for a while, they were just imposing these Australian species. But still that term permaculture really caught on and is attributed, you know, to this one man. By the way, I think people should know that David Holmgren, his student, was there and more of the thinker. And He's a dear friend, and I love permaculture. But it's interesting that By giving the label local, you're actually empowering local people and it's not a brand, you know, that's attributed to me. However, I should get credit for being a pioneer of the localization movement. I think enough people probably know that. But it's, you know, for me, it's not about that. I just feel that it is about that somehow, because it's very obvious and common sense, it gets added on and people say, yeah, yeah, sure, local, local is good. But the study of the global system is really what leads to clarity about that this is a central right. feature of the systemic shift. And that's where right. most people have been lacking.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place uh, to wrap it up. I am inspired by this this uh, several things by what you said. I mean, number one, the your persistence. I mean, just talking about that you were there with Bill Mollison when permaculture began. You know, that's a very long time. I will have to say, and um, and so there is something about if you are are doing work that you, in your gut and soul and heart, you know is right, even if it's small there's a something that if you represent it, you know, because it's in you, um, things grow, they grow.
0: Yeah, but see, in my case, I feel like one way to describe it is like I had imprinted in my soul the pattern of an indigenous way of life, an indigenous way of life where I felt so much happier. I loved living in a world where there were no mirrors. I loved living in a world where I was moving constantly using my body, walking, moving, because we didn't have all those technologies. So even when I was working with a monk, you know, to do a dictionary of the language, I had to walk across the whole town up to the mountain top where he had his little monastery and we might have a date, but then he wasn't there. I had to leave a note and then go back again. And then six months later, sitting in New York on a phone, and hearing that beep, 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 you know, of another call coming in, my body knew how I wanted to live. My yes. body couldn't prevent me from just saying, no, 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 we are going in the wrong direction. Right. You're going faster and faster. You think it's efficient. It's not. It's robbing you of time. So I had like this, and it's it's sometimes um, definitely been hard because as being so passionate about it, it marginalizes you. So you're seen as this
1: sort of, you know, one, <laughs> yeah, one trick pony, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like to, if, if you felt something in your soul that is right, you know, we, an imprint on our souls. And I think, you know, many, many people have had experiences where they go, they sort of like, even if it's a glimpse, it's like, yes, that's it. You know, every one of us is an outpost for the things that we love. You know, where every one of us is a representative for that thing that we have seen that we have a big yes to. So may we all prevail on this? And I do wanna I do want to take another couple of minutes because I asked you since we're we're old friends and longtime activists, uh, I have a little lightning round for us. Okay, so I mean, and I, I sent you a list of three questions, and basically just what's one thing that that is you know in these 30 odd years you know uh your uh, it doesn't have to be your biggest win but what's a big win that you remember right now like yes that happened
0: well the biggest win is literally thousands upon thousands of local food systems and the people who you know are inspired to do that being the happiest healthiest people i know that's the biggest win yeah and being reminded of that uh, almost on a daily basis i do get emails from around the world you know saying this changed my life and so that's definitely the biggest win
1: and and what about the most unexpected thing you know standing back you know there you are in ladakh and here you are now whether it's on the upside or the downside, unexpected, like you never expected that by, you know, 2020, this would be happening. Breaks my heart
0: that in COVID, we hear almost nothing about the incredible importance of vitamin D and prevention, which of course is what our health system should be about. Uh, But our health system having gone the corporate way has gone the for-profit way. So here in this crisis, Instead of you know whole worldwide dissemination about very clear steps like vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, zinc, you know, which have been proven to keep right. people healthier.
1: Just hearing you, it's like it's like a setback and a reset, but we don't know where it's going. It's just it's a most interesting time. It's an it's an a-linear time. Um,
0: well, yeah. I mean, can I also just say about that, Vicky, if you want to keep it or not, but, you know, COVID so clearly strengthened both sides of this fork. So amazing, you know, interest in local food, you, people ran out of seedlings, out of little chickens, out of farm tools, and then bicycles and, and yeast to bake bread. So there was this huge support for a type of localizing and slowing down and many people developed an appetite for it. Many people who were imprisoned in little flats in the city didn't, but they did develop an attitude uh, and a real uh, desire to get out to the country and to get out to smaller towns from the big cities, which is all part of the global to local shift as
1: well. Mm-hmm. that's an interesting idea of the bifurcation, you know, and uh, that if it's a, if it's a bifurcation, then, then it's sort of like the deck of a boat. Which side of the boat are you going to put your energy on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then also just, you know, just thinking about a young person who's in, you know, wants to make a difference. They're in their twenties. What advice would you give to a young person? Um, I would
0: say the first step is to change the I to a we. Don't buy into the dominant narrative, which keeps telling you, what are you doing, you know, to save the world? Or, you know, it's you. Change your eye to we Connect with even just one other or a few other like-minded people. And then I would say there is an agenda, there is a systemic path that will help to heal you and your fears and your anxiety at the same time as giving you tools for healing the planet. So we offer a very, a very hopeful path, um, this path of the we, because one of the most damaging things that's happened is that we've been separated from one another behind screens of fear because we've been led to believe we have to be perfect or we're not lovable. And this is part of a dominant consumer monocultural system to not, doesn't emanate from innate trauma or from some innate problem, it emanates from systemic pressure. And by the way, Gabro Mate agrees with me on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, and he's, um, he's been edited as long as you have and I have, and yet he's sort of having his day right now, isn't he? Yeah. You know, or yeah. realizing how traumatic, uh, how this way of life has traumatized us yeah. all. Yeah. Thank you, Helena, so <laughs> Thank beautiful. Thank, so you. beautiful. Thank, Thank you. so beautiful. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Beringrude, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.